Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I'm going to do a little analysis today of the debate last night. I did watch it, so you don't have to. Um, and uh, just having my morning breakfast. Uh, I'm going to go through some of the transcript with you. But first, I have a special request. Some people asked to see Josie, the kitty. She's in a very playful mood right now. She does not want to be in front of a camera. Um, yes, yeah, she is a cat now. and she, I think we think she's a runt. Uh, this is a cat we rescued uh, a few months ago. She was outside our, our door, and a storm was coming that night. And um, and she was real small then. I, I showed uh, I showed her on the, the podcast, and uh, she's gotten a lot bigger, and she wants to play right now. So I can't... Josie, behave so I can get a full frontal. <laughs> Here, look into the camera. Look in the camera. Can you do that? Yes, you can. So you can see she's still kind of small, but she is... She's like a older teenage kitty. <laughs> that's that's my equivalent in human years. All right, Josie, you got to go now. So there you have it. For those who requested, Josie the kitty in all her glory. Uh, she's a little feisty because she was playing tag with me. Tag hide and go seek. I don't know if it's part of a cat instinct or, or what, but she, she'll come out from a hiding place, tap my foot, go back, wait for me to chase her. And she loves doing that. So uh, we're having fun. Uh, some people <laughs> asked me, did Russell Moore plant the cat to break down your masculinity that night when we rescued Josie? And frankly, I don't know, and I don't care because we're enjoying it. So Russell Moore or anyone else, if you did plant the cat, we appreciate it. Uh, on to more important things, though, than Josie the Kitty. Uh, we're going to talk about the presidential debate. I'm going to show you a few things from the transcript. I, I thought about going through the whole entire debate, you know, just examining Chris Wallace the whole time. We're going to die if we do that. We can't do that. But what I will do is just kind of jump around um, and show you some examples of things that I'm about to illustrate or, or about to explain. So it'll, some illustrations of those we'll, we'll look for. But <clears throat> here, here are the things that I want to explain. Number one, Donald Trump knew going into that debate, because he knows Chris Wallace, that he would be debating Chris Wallace and Joe Biden. It wasn't just Joe Biden. And the reason he knew that, and, and Donald Trump understands something most Republican presidents don't seem uh, to grasp, or at least in the past they haven't grasped it, or they don't act like they grasp it at least. Donald Trump understands that the way questions are formed, phrased, and uh, the, <clears throat> the, qu the questions themselves that are picked um, are automatically slanted against him. In other words, he knows that the quote-unquote moderator is not a moderator. The moderator, their job is to create a narrative which will corral Trump into situations that are uncomfortable for him, to make him answer questions that he doesn't want to answer, um, with assumptions behind them that he does not accept. Now, most Republican presidents just have understood, well, that's the that's the... Uh, the the situation we we I, I just have to maintain decorum and respect and I have to um, I, I have to try to still come up with some good sound bites despite the fact that this is the game that's being played and Trump says no I'm not playing that game and um, and, and and one of the things and I know I did not like it most of you did not like it if you watched it at the beginning especially when Trump started aggressively interrupting Joe Biden uh, we just thought what are you doing I think what Trump is doing, um, there's probably a few things, but I think one of them is, because he interrupted Chris Wallace too, is he wants to get his talking points out and he doesn't think he'll have an opportunity to do it. In fact, he probably knows he doesn't have an opportunity. 
uh, if he just goes along with the way that the, the narrative of the debate itself, um, the pre really, Chris Wallace is making a presentation that Trump has not been privy to. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And, and this is not the way to do debate. And, and I want to explain this. I've done some formal debates in the past. Uh, I debated the existence of God. I debated abortion um, on university college campuses. And here, here's how a debate works. You have opening statements. You have, um, you have rebuttals. You have cross-examinations. You have closing statements. You have time given to each of these things. And you know the topic you're arguing for or against. So it makes for rational, logical discussion. Two people committed to truth on some level. We don't have that anymore. We, I haven't even seen those debates at universities anymore. They don't do them, really. I mean, in class uh, classes, uh, we used to have debates. I don't hear about debates much. Um, and I don't know if something changed or happened. I remember when I went to seminary first, I said, wait a minute, there's no debates here at this seminary over anything. And then you have professors that disagree on all sorts of things. That'd be awesome if we could have some debates. Uh, and, and it's not to just slam the other side or make them look bad. It's supposed This is a process. It's a Socratic process to try to come to an understanding of what the truth is and inform people. That's always been the purpose of a debate. Not anymore. Not anymore. You could do open forum debates in the times of Lincoln and Douglas because you had two sides that had decorum and self-control and they were both committed to truth on some level. Or at least there was a public pressure that you at least have to look like you're committed to truth. Don't have that anymore. Um, both sides want you to slam the other side and um, and, and you only, the, the format of the debate gives you two minutes in some circumstances, and for most of the debate, it's just open. So all you do is slam the other side, and you don't have time. Uh, you, you have to come up for air, get a talking point out, and you don't have time to make an argument before the moderator cuts you off if you're Donald Trump. So it's, it, the deck is stacked in these things. It's not a debate. I know I've had, um, I've had discussions in the past that I thought were going to be more the Lincoln-Douglas type, where I said, well, we're both committed to truth, and then I find out, nope, we weren't both committed to truth. In fact, we would have done great if we had a structured debate and knew exactly what we were going to be talking about specifically, because uh, I find out, no, the other side wants to engage in ad hominem. They just want to destroy your character, or uh, they, they want to make themselves look good, or, but they're not, they're not actually interested in real argument and real pursuit of the truth. I've seen this, and I've seen it lately um, among e even people that think they're rational, that people uphold as rational. I I'm afraid we might be losing rationality and civil engagement, logical engagement. And one of the things I kept thinking was, there's a phrase I often hear it, once communication breaks down, which I'm committed to, by the way, that's the thing about the conversations that matter. I'm committed to communication, rational communication about ideas. Once that breaks down, um, violence is next. Uh, I've heard it said, um, once, um, once the talking stops, the bullets start, right? You hear this kind of thing. Well, look, um, I don't know. There may be some truth to that. There really may be some truth to that. Um, I don't think I've told this story yet. There's, there's, there's a lot of signs that you can point to that Obviously, 2020, there's a lot of signs you can point to that show that civil discourse is breaking down. But one of them, and I'm just going to share this with you, someone I know fairly well. I'm not going to say where this was, and I'm not going to say who it was. But someone I'm, I'm very close to told me something that frightened them a couple weeks ago. Uh, there's a, a range that they go to uh, to shoot. 
and they went there uh, early on a Saturday morning. Usually it's empty. The police don't go back there. It's in the middle of the woods, very rural area. Um, and by the way, and this is, you know, I'm not saying this is a bad or good thing, but it's an area where you don't find a lot of progressives. <laughs> Liberals aren't there. In fact, um, you don't have a lot of ethnic minorities there either. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's in a very rural area. And, um, and, and the reason I'm mentioning ethnic minorities is coming up, just so you know. It's not, I'm not, again, fine with ethnic minorities going out into the woods and shooting. But, but, but here's what happened. Um, this individual went and saw uh, a parking lot when they arrived full of cars, like 15 cars. And all of them having radical left-wing bumper stickers, communist bumper stickers, um, Antifa stuff, that kind of thing. And the instructor went out to meet them and said, hey, are you here to shoot? What's going on? And they said, well, yeah, but, uh, but what, what are you guys doing? They said, well, we, we don't have an opening, unfortunately, because we're going to be here all day. We got some new shooters with us. And half of them were, were not from the area. They, they were, they were um, minorities, uh, ethnic minorities. And, and, and the only reason I say that is just to clue you into the fact that these people were coming from somewhere else to get to a remote location where... No one goes. The police don't go. No one knows what's going on back there, this particular place. And um, so there's so I, surrounding urban areas, it looked like uh, people coming from, from there and left-wingers, all of them. And people learning how to shoot for the first time. They had food trucks set up. They had organization. And they weren't there because they're learning how to hunt. <laughs> they weren't there because they're learning self-defense. It wasn't a self-defense training. This individual told me, at least. He said it was obvious. What they were watching was a militia. And we hear about right-wing militias all the time. Now, most of you probably haven't seen them. But this person, very close to me, saw a left-wing militia-style uh, event going on, training people who have never shot before, probably live in areas where they don't have any, you know, at least for food, for hunting, they don't have any need to shoot. Protection, it would always be good to know how to shoot. But it's obvious to him that's not what they were there for. Now, look, I'm just telling you, this is, you don't have to believe that story, but th this kind of thing is happening. They're preparing for something. Say they, I mean Antifa. Left-wing radical groups are preparing for something. What is it that they're preparing for? And, and, and it was, you know, we saw what happened this year. Um, could it get worse? If Trump wins, could it get worse? It's a good question. And I don't know. But civil discourse is breaking down. And this debate was proof of it. If you want to call it a debate, because it wasn't. So I want to go through, <clears throat> I want to show you this, uh, some, some of the examples of Chris Wallace getting Biden off the ropes when Biden's in a tight spot, helping Biden, um, framing questions in such a way uh, to show a, a, a progressive priority and to, to try to corral Trump into tight spots to make him accept assumptions which are not true or prioritize things that he doesn't want prioritized. And uh, that's, that's my takeaway from this debate. This was terrible. And this is the kind of thing that makes for more civil disruption. When you, when you host a debate like this and... Your, your intent is to try to, 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 to make the, the, one of the candidates squirm, and you don't give them proper time to actually create arguments, and you don't structure the debate. 
you're going to end up with a lot of heated temperaments on both sides. Uh, and Trump, um, Trump, Trump does just doesn't accept that. And I think that's one of the reasons he's still popular. Even after a performance like na last night, his base is still going to be fired up about it because they they believe what he believes, and that's that the media is on the side of the Democrats. Chris Wallace is on the side of uh, Joe Biden, and that it's not fair. The whole thing's rigged. I mean, Trump's talking about rigged uh, mailing, uh, mail-in ballots, uh, which, by the way, it's different than an absentee ballot. That was another conflation Chris Wallace made at one point in the debate. But mail-in ballots... Um, and the, the way this whole thing is working, all the stories that have been coming out, which are fr frankly frightening, Trump is saying it's rigged. Something's going on. It's rigged. We've known this for a long time in, in some urban areas where more people are voting than are registered. We've, this has been shown over and over. And, and yet um, it doesn't matter. Uh, progressives, I mean, they talk about whistleblowing. They're the worst kinds of whistleblowers, and they, they use projection all the time. I mean, their whistleblowers is he's a racist, and sometimes they can do it in such a way that they don't even call you a racist, but they suggest it. I mean, they're, they're the masters at this, and they engage in projection by calling you what they do. And if they're calling Donald Trump for the last four years, three years, Donald Trump, is it's Russia collusion, uh, the last election was rigged, Hillary really won, you can be sure that they're doing everything they possibly can to rig the election. I'm just telling you, this is how... The, the radical left, the progressives that, that are really, they're, they're just socialists and communists at this point. This is how they work, guys. And so when you see Donald Trump saying it's a rigged election, and then you watch a debate and it's a rigged debate, it actually gives him credence uh, to, to the people that, that are his, his base. It gives him more moral authority to them because they say he gets it, he recognizes it, he sees how it's being rigged. So some of you who may have thought this doesn't help him, and I, look, I, th I thought that for most of the debate, I thought, at least the first half, I was like, Donald Trump, what are you doing? Stop interrupting, please. You know, this is embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Um, you know, but I just don't know that we're, at the times we're living in, I don't know that that actually hurts him. It may even help him with some people. That's just my analysis. All right, let's go through a few things. I'll give you some illustrations of some of the things I'm talking about here. So Chris Wallace, um, his first question, right? This is his most mild question. This is, things haven't gotten crazy yet. And this is what he asked them. Um, my first question tonight uh, is, uh, where do you think a Justice Barrett would take the court? Bad question. Horrible question. That this is a political question. It doesn't, who cares where she takes the court? The question is, will she faithfully apply the Constitution? That is the question he should be asking. This is already rigged. And, and what I mean by rigged is not, no, it's, it's, this is just who Trump, um, Chris Wallace is. This is what he's asking from his point of view. It's not, I don't think in this necessarily, um, this example, he's intentionally rigging anything. I'm just saying his most innocuous question of the night, the first question before anything starts getting bad, is already about a political question. Where would Barrett take the court instead of, um, a constitutional question, which has to do with the job of a Supreme Court justice. And this is, this is where we're getting our, our start here. Uh, and so we don't know anything about their constitutional philosophy, anything about how they would vet a Supreme Court justice. All we know is what's the outcome going to be? 
What's it going to look like? Whose side is going to do better? We, this is a stupid question. We know the answer. Trump wants someone who's going to support uh, a more Republican agenda. Biden wants someone who's going to support a more socialist agenda, progressive agenda, Democrat agenda, whatever. Uh, that's, that's what we know that already. That's a given. If you really want to ask intelligent questions, ask intelligent questions. Um, do you think she'll faithfully ap uh, apply the Constitution? Why or why not? Give me the issues. Tell me why or why not. So I, I'm just telling you, this, this is the, the mildest example that we could give. And it's, it's already just bad. It's just bad. Um, as we go through, I'm, I'm just going to kind of scan through this. I can't talk about all of it because we'd, we'd be here a long time. But I want to just give you a few examples. Um, you know, constantly when Biden's on the ropes because uh, of something Trump says or asks, uh, Chris Wallace will will get Biden off the ropes. You know, Donald Trump, well, you're, you're, a, you're a socialist. You're going to be a socialist. Chris Wallace cuts in. Gentlemen, we're, we're in open discussion. Uh, you know, go ahead, Vice President. And, um, and, and, and he does this not just when Biden's within his two minutes. He does this when, uh, when, when you know, it's, it's a free-for-all. Um, let's, let's, let's look at some more examples here. Uh, we have the health care question is really the next one. So he says, you know, hey, you've promised to repeal and replace Obamacare, but have never in these last four years come up with a comprehensive plan to replace Obamacare. And, and Trump is trying to struggle to say, like, hold on, look at what I've done, the individual mandate. I brought the cost of prescription drugs down. Um, look what I am doing. And Chris Wallace is trying to corral him into, well, you've got to give a comprehensive plan. This is, this is trying, so, so just so you understand something about Trump, I've been watching him now for, for well, over four years. Trump is not ideological in the sense that Trump is not the kind of guy to sit there and come up with some abstract proposal that if it were possible to do this proposal, that it would just be so great. It would just solve all the problems. I mean, once you start going down that road, you get into ideology and utopianism because you, you construct in your mind something that's so ideal and so perfect, but can it actually work in the real world? Can you get it past Congress? Can you effectively, practically... Um, is this something that is feasible? And the left loves this because the left will always make you compete against their utopian dreams. They, they look at reality. They condemn it. Reality is just so terrible. But if we were in power, our utopian dreams would come true. And of course, we know that's not the case. And every time people have tried anything remotely close to what the left tries, it always ends in disaster and dystopia. But Trump, um, Trump is not ideological. Trump looks at things practically and says, well, how can we make something better? What can we practically do? And then he goes ahead and he does it. He's not an ideological thinker. Uh, he's very practical, very pragmatic. And so this question sets Trump up to have to construct uh, this, this ideological abstract kind of plan that will, will never work because <laughs> he'll never be able to get it probably past Congress. And, 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 and well, at least do you assent to this abstract proposal so we can debate that proposal? This is not who Trump is. And Trump is interjecting in this question all the time. And Chris Wallace is arguing with him. And Trump is trying to say, this is what I've done. And I, I think that's what's going on here. Um, and don't you think it would be better if beforehand the candidates knew that they were going to be debating health care? And so they were given certain amounts of time just to talk about health care and the rebuttal period to, to criticize the, their candidate's plan or what their candidate has done or what we'll do, et cetera. But that's not what we're doing here. 
We're, 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 we're <laughs> it's just a horrible way to try to do this. Um, let, let, let's keep going here. Let's see if we can, so I'm going to, I'm going to just skip to the middle of this debate. Let's get into this question that Chris Wallace asked. He says, uh, Trump, do you, uh, you have often said that you believe you will have done more for black Americans than any president with a possible exception, Abraham Lincoln. Trump says that's true. Now, <laughs> this is for, for those who have a sense of humor, this is kind of funny when Trump gets braggadocious to many of us, we're just because we don't, we're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just funny, but to people on the left, this it makes them go crazy when Trump says these kinds of things. And Chris Wallace knows that. And so he's bringing this up. Instead of asking him just, what have you done for black Americans? Uh, he, he has to remind everyone of, of this particular comment that Donald Trump has made. And of course, Donald Trump, uh, being the, the, tr the guy that he is, that's true, I have done more since for anyone since Abraham Lincoln. And um, the way that this whole thing is framed is what have you done for? As it, the assumption behind it is the, the national government, the executive in the national government has to do things for certain demographics. I don't even like the way that that is necessarily phrased. Um, what have you done for? How, how, how have you secured the rights of Americans? How have you, um, had, um, how have you fulfilled the duties of your office uh, and sign legislation uh, to, to help situations in the inner city or situations in other regions where there's problems. Once you get into this mindset though of, well, you gotta do something for a certain demographic. What have you done for them? As this kind of just, uh, without any parameters, just, just doing things for people. Um, you, can, you can get in, this is where socialism can easily creep in uh, because the socialists always have the goodies. They're gonna do every, they're Santa Claus. Well, this is what we're going to do for you. We don't care what the Constitution says. We're just going to do it. We're going to give you you handouts, and we're going to um, we're going to provide all kinds of services for you. And so I just don't like when you get into this language. I I, I don't like it. But you know the conservatives try to to win this by saying you know here here's what we've done to, um, to help all Americans by lowering the tax rate or making making an environment that's business friendly so there's more jobs. So people in those areas have more jobs and so forth. And I don't, I understand. That's what I would do if I was in that situation too, probably. But he says, uh, my question for, for the two of you is why should voters trust you rather than your opponent to deal with the race issues facing this country over the next four years? So this is how he wants to phrase it, the race issues. Everything you've seen this far in 2020, um, the rioting, uh, the protests, um, the, the accusations against the police, that have not been substantiated, saying they're racists when there's no evidence for it. Um, the taking down of historical art, none of that. No, no, he just, it's just the race issues. How about the, um, how about the Antifa issue? How about the, uh, the Black Lives Matter issue? How about the Marxist issue? Chris Wallace showing he's a progressive. And of course, Joe Biden, it's about equity and equality. It's about decency. It's about the Constitution. <laughs> the Constitution, okay. We've never walked away from trying to require equity for everyone. Equality for the whole of America. Um, <laughs> the, progress the, the hardcore liberals are going to dump Biden on that one. But we've never accomplished it. But we've never walked away from it like he has done. Um, it is true. Uh, the reason I got in the race is when uh, those people, close your eyes, remember those people look like coming out of the fields, carrying torches, their veins bulging. Just spe This is melodrama. He's, he's trying to 
play on your emotions, not your rationale. These uh, anti-Semites, uh, Ku Klux Klan, uh, women got killed. Um, you know, they, what about all, you know how many police officers have been killed this, this year? A lot. Uh, th this is, you know, th this is all trying to focus on these specifics, attaching emotions to them. The media does it all the time. And, and it creates a um, environment where the assumption out of the gate is that there's some kind of problem with white nationalists, white supremacists, etc. And that's the issue facing the country. That's the big thing. That's the big problem. And, and so uh, Joe Biden goes on uh, that you know, George Floyd was killed and there were these peaceful protests and the White House went out and, and, and had tear gas at them. Is it, are these the same peaceful protests that were trying to um, overrun the gates and take down the statues outside the White House? Yeah, um, that, that were saying horrific things, shouting obscenities, threatening to go and kill the president, those kinds of things. Uh, peaceful protests. I mean, Trump probably should have jumped on that, but he's only got so much time. And so Chris Wallace says, uh, President Trump, you have two minutes, <laughs> two minutes. To, the whole media narrative that's been spun for the last year uh, about what the problem, the problem, the real problem that's going on. You have two minutes. Why should Americans trust you over your opponent to deal with, quote unquote, race issues? And so Donald Trump goes after Biden for the crime bill of 1994. And uh, so he says, uh, so then he says, so you did that and they call you a super predator because uh, Biden used that term, I guess. Um, and you have treated the African-American population uh, horribly. Um, he, he goes through a litany of it. Uh, and then he gets into, this is the interesting thing. Um, he tries to go back to law and order. He tries to go back to reframing this whole discussion. So he says, um, I have 250 military leaders and generals that are supporting me, the law enforcement, almost every enforcement group in the United States. Um, and he says, can you even say the word law enforcement, Joe Biden? Uh, can you, all the violence is going on in Democrat cities, uh, top 10 cities, uh, top 40 cities are run by Democrats. Uh, this is where the problems are going on, and you're blaming me? I mean, that's Trump's argument here. And Chris Wallace jumps in, all right, I want to return to the question of race. This is pivotal, guys. Notice this. Trump is reframing it. Trump is trying to show, look, the problems that you're facing, the actual tangible things you see in front of you as, as, as regular, ordinary Americans, your city's being burned down, history being erased, um, uh, people dying uh, because uh, and, and, business, and, and lives being destroyed, because of this. Trump wants to say, if that's what you're talking about, if that's the issue facing everyday ordinary Americans, why would you elect Biden? And Chris Wallace doesn't, he doesn't want it there because he wants to specifically come with the assumption that this is a race issue against, against black people or minority people. This, that's the real problem. That's the assumption Chris Wallace is stating, but he's not making an argument for. It's just an assumption, it's a premise. Trump is challenging the premise, and then Chris Wallace says, all right, I want to return to the question of race. Is it a question of race, what's going on right now? Is that the question? Or is it something else? Vice President Biden, after the grand jury in Breonna Taylor case decided not to charge any of the police with homicide, you said it raises the question whether justice could be equally applied in America. Do you believe that there is a separate but unequal systems of justice for blacks in this country? What an easy... 
this is just, this is like baby questions. Um, you know, what's the media been telling you? The education establishment, now the church, now every, every single authority pretty much in the country, except the executive branch of the presidency has been telling you the same thing, that there isn't equal justice. So you ask Biden, you basically, do you agree with every single thing that you've heard from Hollywood and the academic elites? And, and of course, Biden said, well, yes, there is. There's systemic injustice in, in education and in work and law enforcement, all these things. Um, we're going to work this out. Uh, we're we're going to, uh, these cops aren't happy to see what happened to George. So he, say, he says, they, there's the cops, most cops are, are good cops, but they're systemic. You can't have both. He's trying to, he's trying to appeal to those who know that this is bad, want law and order, but also at the same time, yeah, there's systemic racism. We need to overhaul everything. Donald Trump, what is a peaceful protest? When they run through the middle of town, Chris Wallace, President Trump cuts them off and burn down your stores and kill people all over the place. Uh, Joe Biden, this is not a peaceful protest. No, it's not, but you say it is. Chris Wallace, President Trump, I'd like to continue with the issue of race. I promise we're going to get to the issue of law and order in a moment. So Chris Wallace is separating these things. And, and, and th so this is interesting how Chris Wallace wants, he wants to, uh, to, to, because to, the issue of law enforcement is really essential to this issue. When you have crime in places like Chicago that are killing people, and these are the tangible realities, and these aren't abstract things. These are the things going on the ground. Some weekends in Chicago, over 100 people die. And, and it's not, it's, it's, it's people shooting each other, and it's because law enforcement, is, there's not enough of it. There's not an, there, the law enforcement's not there to protect people getting killed. You can't separate these things. And Chris Wallace wants to do that. Wants to start off with the assumption that there's some kind of systemic racism going on in America. And, uh, and what's Trump going to do about it? What's Biden going to do about it? Um, and then, and then here, here's, here's the question that takes the cake. This month, your administration directed federal agencies to end racial sensitivity training that addresses white privilege or critical race theory. Now we know, because we've done this so many times, what critical race theory is. We know that it is a, a, a Marxist derivative and a postmodern derivative wrapped up into one, denies the idea that there is objective truth. Um, it, it assumes that someone, just because of how they're born, uh, the, the, the situation that they're born into, um, the skin color that they have, uh, that there's a power dynamic attached to that that vilifies them, that gives them a stain of original sin, so quote unquote, puts them on the everlasting altars of repentance and uh, muzzles them because they don't have any authority to talk about issues that concern quote unquote race issues, which is now broadening to include everything from COVID-19 to, I mean, if the liberals do this with everything. Their issue, they broaden it to, to include everything. Remember when, when um, sexism was the issue and the Me Too movement, it just included everything. Uh, Obamacare, free healthcare, it included everything. It's all consuming to the left, their issues. And so, so, so you have to shut up about almost everything if you have this certain power dynamic uh, attached to you. Um, and, and of course, it gets into redistribution of power. Um, we, we know what critical race theory is. We know what was being done in these white fragility training sessions. And Chris Wallace wants to just say, well, it's just racial sensitivity training. And do you believe that there is systemic racism in this country, sir? Donald Trump, I ended it because it's racist. Good answer. That, that is racist. Um, I ended it because a lot of people were complaining that they were being asked to do things that were absolutely insane. 
um, <clears throat> like uh, like apologize and be part of these group uh, uh, apologies for how bad they are uh, for things they never did. Um, this is a radical revolution that was taking place in our military, in our schools, all over the place. And you know, and so does everyone else. And we wouldn't know it. Cut off. Chris Wallace, what is radical about sensitivity training? You see it, guys. You see it right there. What is radical about sensitivity training? Um, look how he's framing it. And then, of course, uh, Biden gets into it later. And I'm not going to go over it because of lack of time. I have other things I got to do today. But, but here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal. Um, we're in a situation right now where uh, <laughs> we do have a revolution taking place. Go watch the video that I put out there right after um, the riots, the, Bla the first Black Lives Matter inspired riots. And uh, it, it, the name of it was, Why Are All My Friends Marxists? And go watch that. We have a new religion, a new movement sweeping across this country. And it's not just going to be race. It's going to be a whole bunch of other identity factors. But, but cramming those things into a Marxist framework so that instead of the proletariat rebelling against the bourgeoisie, they can harness uh, certain uh, genders and minorities, demographic, other demographic groups to commence a revolution. And that's exactly what this is. There's no doubt about it. And Trump is actually right when he says this. Now, he doesn't understand all the ins and outs of what the nerds like to call critical race theory. He just knows he can smell radical Marxism when he sees it. He, he can see it when he, when, when, when he catches a whiff of, of, of just even, even a little bit of what these trainings are trying to tell people, um, how they're trying to guilt them, how they're trying to pacify them, uh, how they are uh, looking at even violence um, and... Um, and redistributive schemes as ways to address uh, systemic injustice, et cetera, et cetera. Donald Trump sees this. Joe Biden, um, I don't think either of them know intimately what critical race theory is, but Joe Biden is defending this. That no, you know, this is just sensitivity training. Uh, and and, and he's, a, he's a white supremacist. For, you saw critical race theory on the stage there. Because if, if President Trump is made out to be like some kind of, you know, he won't denounce white nationalists, he won't denounce white supremacists. And it was white supremacists, I think, that was brought up. And the Proud Boys was the example. I mean, come on, give me a break. Um, he won't denounce these, these, these people because uh, well, he must be a white supremacist. You're seeing critical race theory on display. How do you, how do you get the Proud Boys being uh, white supremacists? Show me that one. Uh, Charlottesville, where there's some white nationalists there. Yes, and they were, very, they, and they said uh, they we're not we're not white supremacists. We're just white nationalists, and we want to just, you know, were there a few there? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a few people in our country. There ain't too many. Uh, it'll grow the more we we try to um, shove critical race theory down people's throats. You're going to get people who rebel and say, wait a minute, hold on. I'll accept all the premises, but I'm still proud to be white. And then you're going to get a white nationalist or white supremacist. That's how this works. Um, because you, you're making identity, you're making like racial identity, all the end all be all for people. So, so, so that's going to create white nationalists and white supremacists. Uh, but there's not many of them in this country. And, and they're not the ones behind these riots. There's no evidence for that anywhere. There's evidence behind that the violence that we've incurred in the last year has been the cause of white supremacists, unless, of course, you buy into the assumptions of critical race theory. Then you can make the cops out to be systemically racist. You can make, well, it's the education system that uh, caused these 
uh, people to be okay with cops who do that and demand cops to do that. Um, and, 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 and it just gets into everything because everything is about race, right? All consuming. Donald Trump knows that's radical. Joe Biden thinks that's just regular, ordinary, uh, you know, sensitivity training when you tell people those things. Uh, and, and if you disagree with it, you're the racist. You're the one with the problem. And Chris Wallace is tag teaming him. And there's another point. Uh, Chris Wallace tries to get Trump. Will you denounce, you know, white supremacists, et cetera? And Trump does. And there were people on Twitter who were <laughs> going off on. And Trump's trying to get specifics. What do you mean? The Proud Boys? What are we talking about? People on Twitter, I, uh, even uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, who's supposedly this evangelical um, uh, you know, leader on, on some level. She's saying, well, you, we Christians should not be okay with the fact that Donald Trump, it, he's unwilling to denounce white supremacists. He doesn't even know what he's being asked. Because if they're asking him white supremacists and they mean the Proud Boys, what are you talking about? Um, Trump's, Trump, and Trump did say, yes, of course, you know, I denounce. And he has denounced in the past. Um, even that, that mythological clip uh, the, 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 the clip of Donald Trump where he says there's good people and bad people on both sides, if you, that's, a, that's a myth. Look at what Trump actually said. He wasn't talking about, and he specifies this. He goes, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis. I'm talking about people, just people who want to, on the debate over whether Robert E. Lee's statue should be there. There's people that are good that want the statue to remain there, and there's people who, um, who are good on the other side who want the statue to come down. That's what he was saying in context. Uh, and they're making out like, well, that means you must endorse white supremacy. You're a white supremacist, etc. It's ridiculous, guys. It's absolutely insane. It's ridiculous. Um, I think it was Robert Lee and Thomas Jefferson, if I'm not mistaken. So um, this is now this is now made to be in the in the folklore of the left in their mythology. Trump is a racist because of, of that out of context quote, and then he's a racist because uh, he's ending critical race theory training. This is what the left thinks of you guys. I'm just telling you. They think it of Trump. They think it of you. That's how radical they are. Critical race theory training and that, that's just regular sensitivity training. And Joe Biden buys into it. And, and Trump says at one time, he goes, well, this is, um, they, were, they were training people to hate their own country. And Joe Biden immediately says, uh, no, they weren't. That, that wasn't happening. Reminded me of certain evangelical leaders out there who, when called to the carpet because of what their professors are teaching at their own universities, and we have it in black and white. We have the quotes, we have the videos, we put them out there. Um, you know, Matthew Hall saying he's going to rip back and, and show everyone the rotting corpse of white supremacy in their church, in their family. Um, it's denied. No critical race theory is being taught here, even though Curtis Woods, chairman of the, the committee that gave us Resolution 9 in the SBC, has specifically said that Matthew Hall uh, understands critical race theory, and that's why he appreciates Matthew Hall, has specifically said in the book, Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention, that Jarvis Williams has presented critical race theory, and, and, that, and that's somehow a positive thing. It's in the book. Go read the book. I've read the book. I've, re I've read enough of it. I've read, I've read the whole chapter by Jarvis Williams. And I read the section in Curtis Woods where he's talking about the chapter by Jarvis Williams. It's critical race theory. Jarvis Williams has said on Twitter multiple times how much he gains from critical race theory. But then you have a president like Al Mohler saying, There's none of this is happening here. We don't teach those things at the S uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And this is exactly what Joe Biden did last night. It's not happening. Not happening. Yes, it is. It is happening. And the proof is out there proof is out there. Donald Trump, um, 
at the very least, and I'm just going to be frank and open with you guys right now. I did not vote for Trump in 2016. I didn't think he was going to be a conservative. And I don't think he actually is a conservative, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't think, uh, I I just didn't think his character was something I could vote for. And I I, I was living in a state that it didn't really matter at the time. And in in a way, I, I, you know, uh, New York wasn't going to go for Donald Trump. I voted third party. This time around, guys, I've been struggling. I, I've, <laughs> when I see stuff like this, I see how dangerous the other side is and how they want to just uh, vilify anyone who would, if you oppose critical race theory, you approve of white supremacy. Guys, that's scary. That is going to be a muzzle on all of you if this stuff isn't defeated. I'm struggling with, with, with the vote thing. I really am this time around. And um, I, 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 I'm leaning towards, I'm just be honest with you, I'm leaning towards voting for Donald Trump. I really am. And there's things, I, I mean, I don't, I hate it when Donald Trump says things like, you know, I'm, uh, he touts the fact that, you know, he's the most friendly to transgenders and these kinds of things. I hate it. It's acid. Um, it's cancer. But there's, there's cancer in every part of the body right now. And there's five different kinds of cancers. And... <laughs> this point we need we need some kind of a chemo that's going to kill um the most deadly ones and and i don't i I just don't even see third party options right now i don't even i i don't i'm probably i'm just relating to you guys because i know a lot of you feel the same way i do i know i'm not a huge fan of donald trump but when you hear every single institution in society circling the wagons around this fake narrative that will lead and is leading to a Marxist-style revolution in this country, I I, uh, I don't know what to do other than to try to stop it by whatever means necessary within the confines of the law. Stop it. Stop this. It needs. It, it, we we cannot go down this road. This is this is a poison pill. This is a cliff that we're walking off of. We're not in the same position we were four years ago on this stuff. And, um, and, and just to let you guys know, four years ago, I know many of you voted for Trump that are listening to me. Um, I understand why. Look, my own parents voted for Donald Trump. Like, I, I get why people voted for Donald Trump. Uh, I don't condemn people for voting for Donald Trump, um, just so you know. And I didn't, and it wasn't for the reasons that people are condemning them now. Oh, they're a racist. No, none of you, I don't think any of you that I knew who voted for Donald Trump were just doing it because you're racist. That's ridiculous. That is critical race theory right there, working itself into those assumptions. No, you did it because, and this is the key thing, guys. This is what this is coming down to. You did it because you knew you were losing your country. You felt like you were the citizen of a country that no longer exists. And I feel that way right now, more than I've ever felt. I'm a citizen of a country that used to exist. And where did it go? And Donald Trump also has a memory of that country. He remembers what it was like to live in a country where people got along more than they do now, when they, were, they had more commonly shared values. He remembers a country that Americans themselves, this is Lincolnian America, really, that uh, Americans were proud to be American, and they had respect for the founding documents of this country. They didn't call them racist. Uh, they weren't going into local and regional uh, areas or heroes that are local and regional and ripping them down from outside areas. They weren't doing that. They weren't vilifying each other. 
They were proud of their country. They were proud of their founding. They were proud of progress made in areas where progress needed to be made. They were proud of technological advancements. They were proud of everything that, the, that, that was happening in this country. And that's broken down now. And some of you remember that country. Trump remembers that country. And you're bonding over that shared memory. And you want it to stay that way. You don't want to go down this path. I get that. I empathize with it. I understand it. I also understand some of you who don't want to vote for Donald Trump because of what you saw in the debate. Well, he lacks decorum. He's not presidential. Um, his, his morality, his moral compass is skewed. Uh, you know, on, on issues of sexuality, he bends and he caves. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's been a Trojan horse now since the Obergefell decision. And we're going to really reap the consequences of it here soon. I get it. I understand. I understand. Um, but we, we're, <laughs> we, we need to pray guys where we have, uh, we have multiple poison pills that are being swallowed right now. And, um, and there's only one person, there's only one entity that can save us. And that's, that's the Lord Jesus Christ at this point, guys, civil discourse is broken down. We saw it in the debate. Um, we the, the absolute vilification of each other there's nothing held in common anymore by both sides uh this this has to end and it, it's my my fear and the fear i know a lot of you share is that it won't end in a good way so um so so that's the that's the the realism here i know it sounds gloom and doom but this is realism guys this is the country we live in here's the hope here's the hope uh, we've we've had we've had challenges in the past. Maybe not quite like the challenges we're facing now, but we have had challenges in the past as Americans. Um, more importantly, as Christians, we've had greater challenges in the past. In some ways, we've uh, there were Christians living in Nazi Germany. There were Christians living in the Soviet Union and all the communist countries uh, that uh, clamped down on Christians and persecuted them. Radical Muslim countries. From the earliest times of the church, you had Christians being burned at the stake, fed to the lions. And, and one of the things that makes Christians unique and different is because we have hope that's eternal. Cling to eternal things. It's scary when you think of having kids in this world or grandkids in this world. I get that. Cling to eternal things. There is an eternal reality. There is a plan. There, there is something outside of, of this physical world, and it's more real than the physical world itself. And, and it's, it's eternal realities. It's, it's things like virtue and character uh, are, are essential and important. They still exist. They don't get destroyed by the left. They, they're indestructible. You can't destroy them because they exist in a different realm, and the left can't get out that realm no matter how hard it tries. It can destroy uh, the heroes that exemplified those things. Uh, it can go after, in, in the textbooks, in the school books, it, it can go after uh, the principles uh, that have uh, made this country what it is. It can, um, but the principles themselves are principles. They don't get destroyed. Truth may be crushed, but it will come back. And uh, it may be when Christ comes back that the virtues that we value as Christians are championed once again. But we know that there is a different court we play for, and that is the court of heaven. And we have to realize that. So no matter who you vote for, whether you vote for Trump or you vote for third party, um, and, and, and I would encourage you especially, if you're in a swing state, uh, especially, consider your vote. Really consider your vote. 
whether or, you, or not you want to really vote for a third party when when this is what's on what's at stake. But but if you choose to go that direction, no matter what you choose to do, just know that God is not only sovereign but He's good. And and we've seen we have a whole book filled with His goodness called the the, the Holy Bible, and we read stories in there. Uh, especially if you go through the Old Testament, you see all the times that Israel messed up, was taken into captivity. God judges nations by taking them in, in, into captivity, by, by allowing them to be sold into slavery. Uh, by, by, I mean, that's what we're going towards. We're becoming slaves of the state if this continues. Um, God, God allows judgment for a reason, but he remembers his elect. And even if the worst case scenario happens, what, what's the worst that could happen? You lose your life. Where do you go? You go to heaven, right? So um, I would encourage you guys, consider your vote. I think if Trump wins, we have four more years in general to spread the gospel without fear of major retribution. If Biden wins, I don't know that that's the case because the hate crimes uh, legislation uh, will be passed. Uh, it will be upheld by the executive and the the Christian message that's been proclaimed for 2,000 years will be illegal. Uh, talking about certain sins will be illegal. It's already happening in some states. We can't shut up. We have, we have got to, to keep spreading the truth of Christianity, the word of God. Who man is, man is evil. It's not restricted to certain ethnicities or genders. Man is evil. A man is equally in need of a savior and, and, and that savior is Jesus Christ. Uh, and man is evil as exemplified by the sins that they participate in, which are now becoming the planks of the democratic platform. All right, uh, this has been a, a stream of consciousness. <laughs> I just, I didn't, wasn't expecting to say all that, but I felt like I needed to. Um, I wanna encourage you guys. I wanna encourage you guys. Uh, and, and if anything, um, Donald Trump, uh, I, I don't see evidence that he is a born again Christian. Haven't seen that. But what I do see is evidence that uh, he does care about people, uh, normal, ordinary people, and the tangible realities that are facing them in their actual lives, the threats that they face to their families and themselves. And he knows who he's playing to. And he may not be playing to God, but he is playing towards uh, the middle America, if you want to call it that. Uh, he, 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 he doesn't go out and... Uh, you know, have champagne in the elite circles of these liberal media elites. He's not playing to them. So many conservatives do. The whole entire just about evangelical industrial complex does this. Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, list goes on. This is who they play to. Um, and he's not playing to them. And I, I do find some encouragement in that, I'll be honest with you. I, I like the fact that he doesn't accept the premises of the questions that he's given. So, um, so do with that what you will. Um, I will probably have some more material. I've, I've, I've had some thoughts about trying to navigate this whole, uh, should you vote for Trump or not because of his moral um, indiscretions, especially in the past. Um, I, I have some thoughts on it and I'm gonna save that for another video, but, um, but you'll just have to wait <laughs> until that time. Uh, we have a special, just give you a little announcement. Later this week, I have a special guest uh, who's coming on, who's going to talk about, it's going to be fascinating, guys. He's going to be talking about um, growing up in, I believe it's Bulgaria, and what happened with the church there, how it was infiltrated by Marxists, and what happened uh, to Christians 
when that took place and he sees parallels. So you're gonna, you're not gonna wanna miss this one, guys. You're really not. Um, I should probably plug also my book, my book, uh, the first book. I'm already starting to write a second one to really help you guys understand social justice because I've seen a lot of nonsense out there, especially this week. Uh, man, I've seen, uh, <laughs> I, I've seen some Christians uh, talk about social justice in just terms that um, they don't understand it. They don't understand what's going on. They want to get into the etymology of the word and say, well, Catholics used it in an innocuous way. And so, uh, you know, really, you know, so who, what is social justice anyway? You know, um, <laughs> I've read the sources, guys. I, I've, I'm very familiar. and I'm writing a book that's going to help you navigate this. But first, my history book comes out on how this got into evangelicalism. It's a history book. It's not an apologetics book, but it's going to help you in this way. It's going to show you that the roots of this are Marxist. They are. They're new left ideas. Social Justice Goes to Church comes out on the 7th, um, and you're going to want to get that. You can go to Amazon and get it, and uh, when it when the 7th comes around, I'm going to have an option on my website for getting an autographed copy. So you're going to want to get two copies. You're going to want to get one on Amazon, send it to your pastor, and then you're going to want to come on worldviewconversation.com uh, after the 7th, and you're going to want to order your autographed copy. Um, last thing, uh, I, I, I am going to be speaking uh, in... Upstate New York, uh, in Poughkeepsie area of New York, on um, on the twelfth, Columbus Day, I'm giving three presentations during that day on the social justice movement. You're not going to want to miss that. I mean, it's material I haven't shared on this podcast, and uh, at least a lot of it's material I haven't shared. So um, I'm going to have the sign up info if you're interested in that. Uh, in the info section. Go to the info section and you can sign up if you live within the area, driving distance from that area. Uh, and there's a limited number of people who come par participate on Zoom and that will be there as well. So, uh, so, so get the book, look out for um, that conference coming up on the 12th in uh, upstate New York. And until that time, uh, God bless. I hope to meet some of you there. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.